As a small business owner, I've had my share of accounting, tax, bank feed, and app issues. Some could say I'm a mess, kind of like some of your clients. But as I reflect on the last three years of my business, the one app that I've had not any problems with is OnPay. It's been set it and forget it payroll. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. The root of the problem is that people aren't charging enough for the work they're doing. And if you charge enough for the work you're doing, the value you're creating, then the cost of the software ends up being you know, very small compared to what you're charging for your services. I just think there's a lot of people out there that are like still billing effectively $20 an hour, which is maybe what they got as an employee, but they're a freelancer now and they haven't figured out that you got to multiply that by like two and a half times and be billing at least 50 or more yeah. an hour. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. I love the title of this episode, David. <laughs> it's the beginning of the pipeline, right? It's very applicable. Yeah, we got we got some listener mail, and I just got to kick off with this message that we got from Dave Olson. Dave says, hey, Blake and David, I have to tell you about an experience my daughter had today on her first day of high school senior year. She's taking her first accounting class. I'm not going to read the rest of the message because we actually got on the phone with Dave's daughter, who was taking her first accounting class and had a really unique experience. So, well, hopefully it's unique <laughs> and it's not actually, yeah, the maybe standard it's, experience. <laughs> maybe that's the wrong word. It's not, it's not unique. Anyway, uh, let's hear from Jenica. Hi, Jenica. Thanks for talking to me today. Hi, of course. I'm excited. <laughs> so I understand that you just started accounting. Yes, a couple of days ago. Tell me about yourself. So my name is Jenica and I'm a senior at, I'm in high school. I have been doing computer programming since seventh grade and that's something that I'm really interested in. So I want to go into information systems when I go to college. And I understand that that includes accounting. And that's just also something that's kind of interested me ever since my dad has kind of taught me a little bit about his accounting business. So that's kind of why I took the accounting class. So how did it go? You, you had your first day. Walk me through it. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, I'm just like, I got to my class and I was kind of excited to jump into it. And obviously the first day is kind of going over rules and going over the course and what you're going to learn and what you're going to do. I was definitely excited to get into it because of everything I've heard about it. And it's just always been something interesting to me. But my teacher started talking about accounting in a very negative way that wasn't what I was expecting. And the first thing she kind of says is the fact that accounting is boring. I remember her saying like, who thinks accounting is boring? Who actually even wants to be here? That kind of made me like giggle a little because my dad is an accountant and she said that, oh, we'll learn about why accountants hate their lives. <laughs> and I was kind of like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was just like really weird as she's like talking about how terrible accounting is and how hard the semester is going to be and how much harder it is than a lot of classes and that you're not going to want to go into accounting and we're going to try to make it fun, even though it's not. She said that she wouldn't want to be an accountant and she doesn't like accounting, but she appreciates it and thinks that it is a good skill. But she was talked about how boring it was, how hard it was. And she even made some jokes about people dro dropping the class. And it kind of just like hit me because I was like, 
really excited for the class and suddenly she's talking negatively about accounting and she kind of really upset me. I've been kind of looking forward to this class and again, hearing about my dad and the things that he does all the time, I got excited because, you know, maybe this will be, maybe one day I'll take over my dad's business and this will be the class that kind of leads me into that. So I think that this being my first accounting class, it just kind of really took me down because all of a sudden there's this like negative energy in there. She's talking about how terrible it is. And even on the second day, she still kind of went on about how hard accounting was and how boring it was and how accountants have boring personalities. And I don't know, it just was very upsetting. And like, I don't know, it just definitely isn't (laughs) getting me excited for the class anymore. We'll tell you what, let's set the record straight. As the daughter of a firm owner, as a future firm owner yourself, what would you tell somebody who's thinking about taking an accounting class or, you know, majoring it in, in, in it in college? I think that nothing should stop you if you're interested in it, because obviously there are people out there who enjoy accounting and that's why they went into it. And I think that even though there is a negative stigma around, it doesn't mean that it is hard or it is boring. And obviously I do believe that accounting isn't for everyone, but I also wouldn't want there to be so many people kind of hating on it for no reason, even though they've never tried it. I think that it's always worth the try, especially if it interests you. And I think that um, you should never give up just because you think that's it's going to be boring and that you're not going to like it. And even though that there is some hate on it in my class and just kind of in the world that I shouldn't have to worry about that. And I should just kind of keep being excited about it because it's it interests me. So I guess just, yeah, keep it going and um, keep working hard towards it because if it interests you, that's all that matters. What is your view of accounting as the daughter of an accountant? I think, especially when I was younger, I didn't necessarily understand it. And even like growing up there's and like just hearing about accounting, I feel like there's a stigma around it that it's boring and not something fun to be into. But as I got older and I, I got thinking about my own career, And as I'm like watching my dad with his business, it got me really interested. He's been teaching me a few things and it just gets me excited because I think accounting from what I've heard and learned about is a very useful skill, especially because I'm interested in starting my own business. And I think that learning accounting will either help me guide what I want to do in my business, but also just starting a business in general. I think it's very important to have that ability to know kind of how to do accounting. And it's just, I don't know, it's been super cool for me to watch my dad with all of his skills and the things that he's learned throughout the years. And I don't have a very strong knowledge on accounting, which is why I'm taking the class. But I think just from like watching, it's just gotten me really interested in it and maybe even going into it when I'm older. There's kind of jokes around being an accountant or doing accounting that you may have like a boring personality or that the job itself is really boring I love talking to my dad and he's outgoing and exciting. So I just think the fact that accountants are boring or that the job is boring just kind of like upsets me a bit that people think that. (laughs) Another thing that my dad was telling me is that there's already kind of not enough people in the industry and that we could use so much more accountants and that it is a very useful job and a very useful skill. And I think that um, this being my first accounting class is already getting 20, 25 people not interested in it when there is a need for accountants. And I think that it's really important. And he also told me that the first accounting class that you take will make or break 
um, like your interest for it. And mm -hmm. I think that if there are accounting teachers or, you know, teachers for any subject, I think that they should be getting students excited about it and um, ready for it because, you know, who knows who's interested in there and what it could lead to and what career it could lead to. So. I think that's great advice, Jenica. And I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and share your story. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so there you have it. That was Jenica, senior in high school, just started her first accounting class in high school. And unfortunately, the teacher was not very, mm, what's even the word, was not promoting the accounting profession as a career, was repeating a lot of those negative Is stereotypes. Trope the right word? Is trope the right word for that? I would say stereotype, tropes, right? Stereotypes, yeah. yeah. Meme. Um, memes. <laughs> so, you know, this this goes to the whole pipeline problem we've been talking about. How do we get more students interested in accounting if this is what they're hearing from their teachers? And she recognized that. Like, she she's she's a high school senior, probably 17 years old, and she recognized, like, hey, if that's the message you deliver to 25 people with their first experience of accounting, they're not going to go into accounting. Like, it's... right. <laughs> so somebody somebody needs to talk to that teacher. Um, we've got. To, I hope it's something. a unique experience. I hope other people that have, are fortunate enough to take an accounting class in high school are getting somebody excited about accounting. Yeah. Well, luckily, Jenica knows an accountant. Her father is an accountant, and yeah. so she knows that these stereotypes are not necessarily true. Uh, but not all those other kids do. That's the problem. So we got to do something about it. I don't know what the answer is, but maybe our listeners have some ideas. If you have ideas for how we can dispel the myths about accounting, how we can get rid of these negative stereotypes, counter them at least, I know that those listening to this show most likely are happy in their jobs. They like accounting, right? We enjoy being uh, firm owners or working at modern firms and, you know, we're, it's not the the green... Eye shades and I, and I still ten keys anymore. It's accountants, counting partners at firms sitting on like the hood of their Porsche or their Lamborghini and Ferrari. <laughs> like that's the way to do it. And we just have a, a YouTube channel of those over and over again. Or uh, you know, showing the fact that you can go on vacation, that you don't have to work sixty to seventy hours a week oh. all the time. That you get time off and you get to go enjoy your life. I don't know. So, David, we're talking about pipeline, the news from South Carolina is also pipeline news this week. Let's talk about what's going on in South Carolina. I mean, another state, right, proposing legislation to change the definition or f the, lack of better terms, the 150-hour rule. That's the easiest way yeah. to summarize it, but they want alternative pathways to get to become a CPA. Yeah, make it more streamlined, make it less costly, less burdensome. Uh, started with Minnesota. And we have seen now South Carolina propose legislation. And that was the news this week. There's a press release on the scacpa.org website. You can find the link to that in our show notes about the changes that they're proposing. And we spoke very recently, a couple days ago, with David Noble, who is the chair of the South Carolina Association of CPAs. And he explained why they're doing what they're doing. So let's take a you, listen. Before you hit play on that, Blake, so I think the, the summary of what this is, is they feel that the 30 hours was intentionally 
not defined or black and white on purpose to give future flexibility to the profession. And based on that, he went through and and reinterpreted the whole uh, Uniform Accounting Act. And their conclusion is they have this freedom to let the 30 hours be defined of what it needs to be. Yeah, it's a really it doesn't good have point. to be on, on a transcript, right? Really good point, David. Um, so South Carolina is taking a different approach than Minnesota. Minnesota is simply creating an alternative pathway that is 120 plus two years of experience. South Carolina is saying, we're still going to have 150, but we're going to reinterpret what the extra 30 hours means because based on their interpretation of the Uniform Accountancy Act and the way that it has been implemented in different states, it doesn't have to be hours on a transcript, which is really brilliant because if you keep 150, how can anyone argue against the change? And South Carolina believes and David Noble believe that they therefore would keep their substantial equivalency and mobility would not be impacted. And then the other argument is that all the states already have all these oddball, weird laws anyways. Like it, right, right. Nobody's, nothing's 100%, right? There, there's differences in education and differences in experience requirements already. So you can't, you can't really argue logically that any change, like the change that they are making, should take away their substantial equivalency. Yeah. That's what they've proposed. I'm gonna play a clip from our interview with David Noble. This is also available on the podcast feed as a bonus episode. So go back into the feed if you didn't see it and look for the bonus interview with David Noble for the full 45 minutes with him. This is just a little piece of that conversation. So here it is, a clip of our interview with David Noble, chair of the SCACPA, talking about the changes they're going to make or that they are proposing to make in South Carolina understand that South Carolina is considering some changes to the Accountancy Act there. What are you working on? We started this process almost a year ago and sent a law, uh, a proposed law out to NASBA and the ASCPA to review, and we got comments back from them. As we went through that process, we rethought what we were going to do and how we were going to do it. South Carolina is not being radical. We spent a lot of time researching it to make sure what we were doing was something that made sense and had been done in other places. We're not changing our initial licensure process at all. And so our substantial equivalency has to remain because we didn't change our process, but we're making it clear that they can come up with different things to change or to make equivalent. We're changing mobility consistent with other state laws so that we're protecting the public for folks that might might come in that aren't substantially equivalent. We're getting folks into the profession that might not otherwise be here. If we can do low-cost certificate programs, we're getting folks into the profession that might not otherwise be here. We're not making it easier. We're making it less costly, and we're actually improving the 30-hour education and taking away the concept of doing anything you want, instead guiding them to more business skills to make them a better, well-rounded professional. So with this this law that we have now proposed, and we've sent it to NASBA again, we've sent it to the AICPA, we've actually just sent it uh, in the last day or two to our Board of Accountancy, and we've asked to be on their agenda for an October meeting. We always talk with our board and get feedback from them. We found over time that there are some folks in there that uh, have practiced accounting much longer than we have and have good, insightful thoughts. There's a, a person in South Carolina that was very instrumental at NASBA as a chair 
during this process of becoming substantially equivalent. He's a good friend of mine, and I always run things by him to get his perspective. He's got a perspective on both sides. He's been chair of our board, chair of the Board of Accountancy, and chair of NASBA. So we solicit comments, and, and we want to hear what people think. We just believe that this time we really hit it, that it's not radical. And so this is the right thing to do for everybody, including the nation. So there you have it. David Noble, chair of the South Carolina Association of CPAs, talking about what they're doing to change and reduce the cost and complexity of licensing requirements and get more people into the CPA pipeline that otherwise wouldn't go. And they're also proposing extending the, the testing time. We did reach out to uh, the ACPA and we did get a response. We appreciate that many organizations are trying to address our pipeline challenges. At the same time, we believe the best solution is one we can pursue together as a unified profession. That's why we've convened the National Pipeline Advisory Group, a multi-stakeholder body charged with developing solutions to address talent issues within the profession. The advisory group is already hard at work with a draft strategy due at the AICPA Spring Council meeting this coming May. The advisory group will examine substantial equivalency, the three E's of education, examination, and experience to better understand if there are additional pathways to licensure that also preserves CPA mobility. As we've consistently said, the AICPA views mobility as essential. The proposed South Carolina legislation is subject to an assessment by the National Association of State Boards of Accountancy, NASBA, and the state's own Board of Accountancy. We look forward to seeing the outcome of those reviews. And that is a comment from the AICPA. NASBA, I do not have a comment from NASBA. And the main reason why, if any from Na anybody from NASBA is listening, NASBA, fix your email. I cannot send you an email from earmarkcpe.com, earmark.me.com, davidleary.com, or my Gmail account. They all get blocked. You cannot email NASBA. So they're on tight lockdown there, it seems like. I've had the same issue. I feel like yeah, it's an IT I, configuration. Once I went issue. to my personal domains, I was like, this shouldn't be blocked either. So it just, yeah. there's something else going on. But yes, yeah. NASBA, please, please let us through. Well, so did you say that the draft, they're going to have some sort of draft plan in May? The ACPA has something coming yeah. out in May. So this is the problem with the committee approach is that they're not going to have anything until May. And what month is it? Oh, yes. That's a half a year, right? Right. So yeah. by the time they, anything, they, you know, these committees just go so slow. And I think that's why the states are making their move. Because if one state can do it and not lose substantial equivalency, then it becomes a model for all the other states to follow. And then you don't have to wait for national leadership. I think that's that's the struggle here is that this is a problem that's happening right now and we need solutions now, not in years from now. And, and, and the interview is really good to listen to. There's some mind-blowing stuff in there. I think the main, the, the biggest mind-blowing thing, did you know in the state of New York, if you just have how many years experience? Is it 10? So, yeah. So New York apparently still has a statute, a law in the books that says that if you have 15 years of experience, you can sit for the CPA exam and become a CPA if you pass the exam without a college degree. There's no education requirement if you have 15 years of experience. And New York is still substantially equivalent. So you could, I mean, we don't know how many people have actually done this, but you could potentially be a CPA without a bachelor's degree in New York and then go get licensed in another state through reciprocity. So this whole concept of like mobility, David Noble in the interview said something like, it's already broken because of these differences. So go listen to the well, interview. It's not, it's not so much it's broken, but the... 
to because the argument is you're going to break it, but it's so it's not it's working just fine with the differences. Really. Yeah. Well, he's saying that. Yeah, exactly. There's already these differences. So if we make a few more differences, what's it matter? That's kind of my take. He didn't say that. Yeah. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is built for accountants, and with 30-plus years of payroll experience, they can be the payroll partner you can always rely on. They offer a dashboard to manage all your clients in one place, and when I say manage, I probably should say balance that fine line between control and delegation. OnPay lets you keep 100% control, you can delegate payroll to someone at your firm, or hand off payroll duties to your client. But no matter who runs payroll, OnPay always takes care of all tax payments and filings, even local filings. And with integrations with QuickBooks Online, Xero, and QuickBooks Desktop, you can use OnPay across your entire client base regardless of the accounting GL they are using. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts or a rev share, and a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting. From setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees, they'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. If you're looking for a great product with great support to match, check out OnPay. To learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay Payroll and HR, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay, switch to better payroll. All right, where do we go from here, David? Uh, You want to talk more about pipeline issues? Do you want to talk about technology? I've got a story about air traffic controllers. I, I could, uh, there's just another article in Going Concern from uh, Sharon Lassar, PhD CPA. She's currently the director of the School of Accountancy at the University of Denver, but she was previously the chair of the Colorado Society of CPAs. And she basically uh, writes about how the 150 hours is actually a barrier, right? And she points out and criticizes an AICPA study where was done by the Illinois Society of CPAs. And I think we've talked about this one on the show before where they only talk to accounting students and accounting graduates, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you brought this up in the interview with Noble. Yeah. Um, this study, so AICPA and NASBA have pointed to that study that Illinois did saying that the 150 hours is not a barrier. And and the author of this article, did you say Sharon? Sharon, yep. Lassar, L-A-S-S-A-R. The article is called 150 Hours is a Barrier, really. And she's saying that the study in Illinois you can't make that argument based on that because it only surveyed people who are already bought in to the CPA pathway. So, of course, for them, 150 is not going to be considered that much of a barrier because they've already chosen to absorb that cost, right? Yeah. You need to survey the people who decided not to do it to find out. And then she she quotes the, the Center for Audit Quality, which we covered a couple of weeks back, where it was called out that 150 is an issue, and then goes back to, I think you've talked about this in the past, the Dr. John Barrios survey. Mm-hmm. That was done. Uh, he or, did a or, study, or study, a peer-reviewed study. study. Yeah. yeah. And, but so really that when I get down to the bottom of it, it's her, her conclusion paragraph. And the reason I feel like this ties back in, because it goes back to, you said, the states. The states are taking action, right? And she was a former chair, right? Mm-hmm. And she's 
you know, probably still involved in influencing these people that are involved. So she said, based on the research, I suggest states reduce the barrier to becoming a CPA and recognize the value of graduate education by requiring two years of experience for bachelorette degree holders and one year experience for graduate degree holders. And she says, notice I did not say 150 or 120 hours. The education requirement should be based on earning a degree, not random hours. So this is not the CPA. This is regarding the EA, my next story. But I think it's relevant because we've seen these declines in the number of accountants across all of the professional licenses and certifications. I got an email from the Arizona State Society of Enrolled Agents inviting me to a meeting, a town hall, at which a major change will be considered. They are considering, or it sounds like, that the National Association of Enrolled Agents is encouraging the state associations to dissolve and become chapters of the national organization. And one of the reasons is that their membership has dropped 23% from 2018 to 2023. In February of 2018, there were about 10,000 regular members of the NAEA. In May of 2023, so five years later, the number was 7,700. That's a drop of about 23%. Now, we don't know AICPA membership numbers or state society membership numbers. Those aren't often published. At least I'm not aware of them being published. But if it's similar, that means that we're talking drops of you know 20 to 30%, 20% or more. And that's a serious issue for these state societies. This is also why they are interested in getting more CPAs, because a drop of your membership of 20% is also a drop of your membership dues of 20%, <laughs> yeah. right? This starts to become a survival issue. And I wonder if at the national level, they're not seeing that issue as much. And that's why it's not as much of a burning issue for them. I'm not sure. I'd be curious yeah. to know. I would love to know how it's trending at the national level. Well, there's just so many off-ramps. Right. You, you have people burning out the burnout people that after two years in at a big four firm bail out. You have an aging population that's retiring. There is some set of people that are just dying off. Right. And so the percentages start to add up to where, yeah, it, you could have 10 percent a year, year after year after year for three, four years in a row. And all of a sudden that's 20 percent. Yeah. Um, I've got a story here that is not accounting, but there is an accounting tie in. OK. It's in the New York Times, and it's called Airline Close Calls Happen Far More Often Than Previously Known. A Times investigation has revealed a concerning pattern of safety lapses and near misses in the skies and on runways in the U.S. There have been at least 46 close calls this year. Close calls meaning that planes nearly collided. <laughs> um, actually, that was last month alone. There's hundreds happening every year. So example would be a plane is taking off on a runway and another plane starts to land too soon and they almost collide and the pilot has to pull up or there's a plane with a nose sticking out on the runway and a plane landing almost collides into it, sometimes within hundreds of feet, anywhere from a few miles to hundreds of feet. So the cause of this rise in these close calls is attributed to shortage of air traffic controllers. Uh, 
And you know what made me think about this and, and drew me back to this for this show is we were just talking to Jerry McGinnis for a bonus interview that is going to come out soon. Jerry was the office managing partner of KPMG Philadelphia, auditor for many, many years. And we were talking to him about audit quality issues. And he used the analogy of airlines and flight disasters that we don't often, we don't hear about the crashes that didn't happen. And then of course this article comes out. And I wonder if the same thing is happening in financial reporting and auditing, where there's a lot of close calls that we aren't hearing about and that they may have risen, but because of the way that we measure audit quality and the it's, it's not visible to the public, right? A lot of, we don't get to see the work papers. The PCOB keeps the companies anonymous. Like it's all very obscured, similar to how the FAA has kept this under wraps for a while. The risk could be increasing, but we're not aware of it. So this is a problem across all professions, air traffic control, medical, accounting. We just don't have enough people and quality is going to become a real problem. You know, how do we, yeah, how do we, yeah. And, and I mean, it's, you know, is this the whole levers people are pulling to make the economy crash? Because that's going to make people have to go back to work. <laughs> like, I think there's still that extra stimmy money floating around out there, right? And well, it's just, we, we got to get people to go to work. Like, well, the problem with air traffic controllers is that it takes years to become one. It's age out, yeah. A lot of them have aged out. It takes a certain personality. Not everyone is cut out for this either. You got to have a college degree to do it. And so a lot of these towers are understaffed sometimes by like an incredible amount. Um, there's some stats here in the story. As of May, only three of the 313 air traffic facilities nationwide had enough controllers to meet targets set by the FAA and the union representing controllers. Many controllers are required to work six-day weeks in a schedule so fatiguing that multiple federal agencies have warned that it can impede controllers' abilities to do their jobs properly. So, so I'm not sure I heard that. You said only three or three percent. Three of 313, so 1%. So 1%. So it's the same number as accountants. Remember the survey from accountants two, three weeks ago, the only 1% of firms saying they can hire enough people? Yeah. It's the same statistic. It's the same statistic. So I guess, I, you know, the upside in accounting- at a bigger level. Yeah, this is scary because like I'm I'm flying a lot this year, and one of these close calls was in Phoenix. Uh, one of the 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 closest of calls was here in Phoenix, where two planes almost collided. Yeah, the rate of so-called runway incursions, such as when planes get too close to one another at airports, was nearly twenty five percent higher now than a decade ago. Here's a quote from an air traffic controller who spoke to the Times on condition of anonymity. The staffing shortage is beyond unsustainable. It has now moved into a phase of just plain dangerous. Controllers are making mistakes left and right. Fatigue is extreme. The margin for safety has eroded tenfold. Morale is rock bottom. I catch myself taking risks and shortcuts I normally would never take. It's only a matter of time before something catastrophic happens. It sounds very similar. I mean, I think when we, the, the Southwest Airlines problems, and we were talking about, we were basically... I, I we played that game where I read the the sentences of the paragraph and I swapped out pilots or flight attendants for accountants and it was the exact yeah. same problems in the industry. Yeah. And it's yeah, it, it, I don't know. It, it kind of makes you scared about everything you use in your your life, <laughs> not just accountants. A little I, bit. 
David, I hope you have some positive news. I guess the upside in accounting is that nobody, generally nobody's lives are at stake in accounting. I, I, this, I, I, I think this is positive news. So we've talked about how, you know, remember, remember Bitcoin and blockchain and, you know, crypto, all that yeah, stuff. I, and, I heard that crypto is poised for another rise. And one of the big problems we saw over and over again was there'd be the attestation reports, right? Yep. And then the, the fake people audits. would say like, we were audited and, yeah. they, and they were exploiting accounting firms. Well, one of the industry blog sites or news sites called blockworks.com, they published an article um, this week from EY's global blockchain leader, Paul Brody. And the title of the article is Stop Calling Them Audits. There's no magical guarantee that comes with the word audit. Let's start calling things what they really are. And it's a beautiful article. He go, Actually, it ties back to some book he wrote, but it, it, he talks about what an attestation report is, what agreed upon procedures, AUPs are, what a SOC systems and organized controls reports are, what smart contract audits, which he says, unfortunately, despite the name audit, there's no audits and should not be treated as such. Um, proof of reserves, also not an audit. And then trust but verify. He's like, yeah, you, you're supposed to be able to trust the math, but because there's humans and and people involved, like you can't, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's led to nowhere, this trust the math policy. And so it's just really good to see a crypto magazine, for lack of better words, or blog site or crypto, crypto press, crypto media, actually, finally, it clarifying out yeah that audit, like nobody's getting audited like the there's no such thing stop stop right. using the word audit yeah 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 that's got to happen we we got to put an end to that it's the, the whole attestation report thing if that comes back man i'll be really disappointed it's not it's it doesn't provide assurance you know it's what are they what are they attesting to we we dug into it on previous episodes and we found that they're not attesting to really anything at all it doesn't if all you're doing is telling up assets and you don't check the liabilities, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> what matters is the net position of these crypto exchanges. So yeah, smoke and mirrors. And did you see, just on a side note, did you see the FTC bankruptcy? Apparently they're burning through $50 million a month in legal fees. Oh boy, what a sweet gig for the lawyers there. And, and the, I tried to check, like there's no, I can't find any firms that are involved in the bankruptcy stuff. Like, like, a firm, an accounting firm should be taking a piece of that pie too. It's just sitting there. Like everybody's getting their hands in it. It's crazy. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Wolters Kluwer. This year, Wolters Kluwer is proud to celebrate 10 years in the cloud with their CCH Access platform. CCH Access is the tax and accounting industry's most comprehensive cloud platform, specifically designed to help you focus on the work that matters most to your clients and your bottom line. With a proven cloud platform for tax, audit, and firm management, CCH Access delivers seamless integration and efficient workflows that will transform the way you do business. Hosted in the cloud, CCH Access enables your team to be just as productive at home or on the road as they can be in the office. With all your firm's data in a single secure platform, your data becomes more usable, providing valuable insights into your clients and your firm's operations that less connected solutions just simply can't offer. Additionally, CCH Access offers a wide range of features and functionalities to help you manage your practice more efficiently. From automated data gathering and processing to advanced analytics and reporting, CCH Access empowers you to make the data-driven decisions that drive growth and improve client satisfaction. CCH Access is perfect for 
for firms of all sizes, scaling to meet your needs, whether you're a small firm or a very large one. In fact, 94 of Accounting Today's top 100 firms trust CCH Access to power their firms. If you want to elevate your practice with CCH Access and join the ranks of successful firms reaping rewards of this innovative cloud platform, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash access. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-X-C-E-S-S. I got another email from a listener. I'm a nonprofit bookkeeper and I input everything into QB and QBO manually. I'm so slow, but when I've tried to import or automate, I make a mess and give up. I think I need coaching. I'm not great at just reading stuff and then implementing it. I miss key things and I can't figure them out and I get frustrated. Can you recommend a course or even better, a place to find a coach? If I can get over this hump, I can do my work in less time, importing PayPal donations, Stripe donations, and payroll journal entries, making the bank feed work with me instead of against me integrating dynamic Excel budgets in QBO, for example, and finding a way to edit cloud-based PDFs so I can add notations without downloading, editing, and re-uploading to the cloud. Please share your recommendations. So I posted that on LinkedIn and asked everyone to put in their recommendations. And notably missing was anyone recommending that this person go to college and study accounting to learn these things. <laughs> that, 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 that's funny. Um, so what are the, uh, the top ones? So let's see, I'm going to sort by most relevant. David Feebig said, Blake, thanks for sharing this question. I believe the situation is significantly more common than most of your followers slash listeners slash admirers slash contemporaries understand. The need to automate processes, services, workflows, et cetera, is broadly understood by most professionals, smart or engaged enough to follow you and listen to your valuable insights. However, when it comes to actually implementing all the recommendations, ideas, software, and apps, a small business owner or a small accounting company simply doesn't understand the right path or true potential of your main point. You're one of the vanguards of the online accounting industry because of your early adoption of cloud technology, integration, and so forth. We are in a different realm now, at least as far as my recent dedicated research tells me. No code, low code, SaaS, zero slash QBO app, Zapier, Bubble, Caspio, Buildfire, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? And how many firms or businesses can dedicate their time to research or money to hire someone to guide their path? What is the right step here? Or is this where the most innovative firms rise above to capture their well-deserved market share and the firm that was the genesis of this post loses their clients slowly? So I guess basically that his point is that it's just overwhelming and he agrees. Like there's there's not a lot of places to learn this stuff. I mean, when I started, I had to learn it myself. Yeah. There are coaches I, I think, that can help. Yeah, there are coaches. You know? There's individuals out there who will coach you and help you find apps. There's a lot of it is QuickBooks groups on Facebook you can jump into. There's it's really getting into the community. And believe it or not, something like a conference, like QuickBooks Connect could help. You, you're yeah. around, you can kind of gravitate to some of the nonprofit sessions. And then from there, you start meeting other people that are in the same boat. And that a community is probably the best village, right, to, to help you learn this stuff. It can be. But the problem is that even in that community, how many people have actually tried a particular workflow with a particular type of client? There's often not a like anybody who has something that they're really happy with, right? They might have something that works, but... Is that really the best yeah. way forward? In the end, you still end up experimenting a lot. There's a lot of recommendations in LinkedIn for specific solutions, but I I'm, I'm, don't have an answer. I don't think there's one place where somebody can listen to this or can figure this out. 
Katie recommended, Katie Peterson recommended Greg Bosson and QuickBooksMadeEasy.com. That's right. He's, he's, he does a lot of nonprofit training. Yep. Let's see if there's any else in here. Megan Tarno or Sherelle Martin was recommended by Megan nonprofit. Justice. Megan Tarno's Facebook group for QBO for nonprofits is amazing. Is that the one you were thinking of, David? I think, yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. I, I, I'm in so many, I don't know which ones, but I know there's four or five nonprofit ones and jump into yeah. those. Mahoney CPAs and Advisor. Christine Nelson recommended Mahoney CPAs and Advisors and their QuickBooks Pro Advisors. So I think, yeah, the Facebook groups could be good. YouTube, honestly, you can learn a lot from YouTube now. People are putting up all sorts of content. I mean, like just Hector Garcia's QuickBooks channel hours on YouTube. Hours and hours. Yeah. Hours and hours of it's, content. I would, yeah. I would search YouTube for this. But like, yeah, there is no, there aren't a lot of courses. And that's because it changes so quickly. As soon as somebody puts up a course, then there's new apps, new technology. It changes. So I think, I don't know, the best thing is actually just to set up a bunch of like demo accounts or test accounts and try different things. And don't, and don't test on your own books. Because like, then you'll never get your taxes done because you're always having, you have a mess all the time well, in your own bookkeeping. Or have two sets of books, right? Have your yeah. test test set of books. The practice set. Yeah. So 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 this whole like multiple apps and, and these types of things, it complicates things in a firm, right? Along with, you know, one of the solutions you've said is start paying people more, right? So prices are going to, your, your, your cost to provide the services are going to go up. But what's, I've always also noticed the last three or four weeks, you're starting to see apps start to raise prices across the board. Even myself, and I have five or six apps I'm using that I've had to go in and change and relay. I had to bump up the limit on the credit cards because the apps, instead of being $10, are now $12 or $40 or now $45. Everything's kind of inched up. Well, I saw the last couple of weeks, uh, Dext had a major pricing change, right? They At one time, people bought like a lifetime unlimited subscription to Dext for as many clients as they wanted, and they pulled that back now. And so some people's prices for Dext is going up 100 percent They had a lifetime discount and they took I, it away i think they they had some yeah if you bought in at a certain time in the past um you know startups get crazy when they have a lot of startup money yeah but, see, so i never pull, trust those lifetime discounts because they can there's always something in the fine print that lets them take it yeah. away from you so, so so that huge jump in price ramp who has uh one of the you know expense card type companies so ramp had they're gonna opt everybody into this new platform called ramp plus which apparently is the paid version of the platform you can opt out but they're going to migrate you there first. Then you can you have to back out. So that's going to move some percentage of people unpaid. QuickBooks Desktop, I think we Lucy talked about that. They've raised a bunch of prices. But it goes back to this like uh, bigger article, Accounting Web wrote, which is great, which is like how do you um, – the, the article is called Accountants Face the, Up to the Cost of Cloud App Stacks. And essentially what they're doing is there's five ways to handle this. And I'd love to get your points of view, Blake, is kind of going through these. Um, because ultimately, if you have 30, 40 apps in your firm, maybe each you know, have a client using 10 or 15, and if all those apps raise up in price, now what? Right? Mm -hmm. Or now if you start paying your staff more because rate, hopefully wages are going up. Right? So by, here's five ways you can, uh, how, how you can pass this on to clients. So one of them five, is you don't do it Five ways all. you can pass fees on to clients. Yeah. So one is you don't do it at all. You just absorb the price of the software as an operational cost of doing business. Right. Well, that's Which not is, passing it on to clients. Not at all, right? That's not well, well, hopefully you've priced it in a different way. Okay. Right? Like, right. Like you've you've priced it enough to where this is never an issue, right? Right. I think there's that. Factor the cost into client pricing, but don't pass price the 
price rises on, right? Which is kind of like the same a little bit. Um, it's just you're you're kind of figuring it out when you give somebody a quote. Like I'm right. assuming it's going to raise, right? Kind of like yeah. that. Factor it into the client pricing and pass the price rises whenever the client's package is reviewed. So so annually, you're like, hey, these things right. cost more now. We're going to have to charge more for these. Factor it in instantly. So you just already have in your contract, as soon as it changes, yeah. you change their pricing instantly. And then the other one is just to, to punt the whole thing and tell the client to go subscribe to all these apps on their own, yeah. which is another possible option. It's, it's, there's trade-offs. I think my three favorite are, one is simply absorb it, which is what I did with most of the apps that we recommended for our clients. Like I didn't charge, I didn't add a fee for Zero or QuickBooks. But sometimes we did add a fee for high volume clients that paid a lot of bills when we had to pay a per bill price. I mean, that could really add up. So I've done it both ways. The problem with only doing it annually is that if the price increase happens eight months before the review, you might absorb eight months of price increases that eats at your margin before you actually get around to it. So I feel like it should either be an all or nothing sort of thing. It's a, you either need to pass through all of these charges or you need to have the client pay for them all themselves or you need to just absorb it. Well, yeah, and I think the first step here is stop being surprised by this. Like we've been, like this has been a trend now for the last four yeah. or five years. And you could see it every time QuickBooks raises at $5, the bulletin boards go crazy, right? Yeah. So like figure out how to fit this into your model more long-term. Yeah. Right. Where, hey, we just automatically, every year, we just raise our prices 15, 10% every year. Right. We just do it. Yeah. If you as a firm are always raising your prices and you're raising them at least as much as SaaS businesses do, then you'll be okay. And then you can just roll it all yeah. in together. And I think the big problem, really the root of the problem is that people aren't charging enough for the work they're doing. And if you charge enough for the work you're doing, the value you're creating, then the cost of the software ends up being you know, very small compared to what you're charging for your services. I just think there's a lot of people out there that are like still billing effectively $20 an hour, which is maybe what they got as an employee, but they're a freelancer now and they haven't figured out that you got to multiply that by like two and a half times and be billing at least 50 or more yeah. an hour, right? If that's what you're doing, because there's all these costs you've got to cover, all this overhead. We need to do more education in the accounting profession about setting rates because people just aren't charging enough. Last episode, we were talking about that NATP price survey, which I still need to dig into. And the average tax return is like $200 or something. It's just so low. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Keeper. By combining client communications, file review, reporting, and your task management, Keeper has everything you need to run your bookkeeping or cast practice. Keeper is an all-in-one app that allows you, your team, and your clients to easily collaborate to make your monthly close as efficient as possible. Starting with a beautiful custom-branded client portal optimized for bookkeeping work, your client can answer questions you have about uncategorized transactions, allowing you to categorize and automatically post them to QuickBooks Online correctly, all without ever leaving Keeper. 
via the month end file review feature to surface transactions that may not be posted correctly. And by providing the perfect customized report that each client may need, Keeper can highlight the value that your firm provides clients. Keeper's built-in task management ensures nothing falls through the cracks and it includes time tracking so you can see where you and your team spends their time. With Keeper's 1099 manager, you can easily review each client's list of vendors, email address, physical address, tax ID, and the amount paid. And from the same screen, even request W9s for any vendors that you're missing information for. No more jumping between screens or browser tabs. Keeper has a very affordable and clear pricing model that starts at only $8 a month. To learn more about why thousands of bookkeepers and accountants trust Keeper to manage their month-end close and to get 20% off your first three months by using code CAP20, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash keeper. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash K-E-E-P-E-R. You talk about low legal zooms. Legal Zoom just launched Legal Zoom Books, which uh-huh. is like their accounting software. So you can uh, it, it's for solopreneurs, a simple automated accounting offering, complete with the ability to send custom branded proposals, invoices, receive payments, link bank accounts, automated income and expense categorization, and month to month cash flow trends. Ten dollars a month, Blake. Ten dollars yeah, a month. They've launched this. How long is that going to last, David? That's that's to get you in the door, and then once they've well, well, built up a user base, they jack up the price. But I think what it is, it, this is a door to get people into, remember they launched their legal tax services. So they have their own TurboTax live kind of live bookkeeping, live tax service. And I think this is a way to push people in there because one of the features they say is it's seamless integration, easily share financial and transactional information with LZ Tax and our tax experts. Like it's, it's kind of a push to that. Yeah. But even $10, it's like, it's, like, it's crazy. It's it's. You might as well just make it free. Like why? Like it's too much work to account for the ten dollars. Well, you've taken us into tech news, so I'm going to share this tweet from Jacob Schroeder on Twitter. He said on an OSCPA town hall, that's Ohio Society, on an OSCPA town hall, in the poll responses and question around ChatGPT and AI makes me realize how far behind the majority of the accounting industry is, and how much of a bubble the tax Twitter community is. So then he said uh, in a follow up tweet that. The poll was about how many attendees have used ChatGPT. Would you like to take a guess, David? How many Ohio State CPA Society town hall attendees have actually used ChatGPT at all? And this is not Even, on Twitter. This is actually at the event. Yeah. An in-person event. Right. Not Twitter people. Oh, uh, and he did not participate in the poll? Jacob did Let's not? assume that it was a big enough group where it doesn't matter if he participated. Oh, it's two people. Well, I mean, what percentage of the attendees? Hundred percent, zero percent. Oh, this is a, under under one, under one percent. Maybe maybe a half a percent. Oh, so you, it's a little more than that. Fourteen percent. Fourteen percent of the attendees had hmm. tried it. Eighty-six percent of the attendees have not used ChatGPT at all. Like, not even gone to the website and just used the free one to see what it's about. Just to fit around with it. Yeah. yeah no yeah. curiosity whatsoever. That's the state of the accounting profession. I mean, how can you not be a little bit curious about this thing that has the potential to change everything? Well, especially so, the way I, I, I had a bunch of articles this week and I, I didn't bring any of them because I got mad and I just tweeted about it instead. But the amount of articles written about how AI is going to change accounting, bookkeeping, and tax that are written by AI as blog posts are just astronomical now. And it's just, it's all fluff it's just seo blog post fluff and it's a shame how many but but even what i'm saying with that the whole 
they're being exposed to this. So yeah, you're right. It's surprising they didn't go and uh, just test it around and just play with it for once. Just I want to wanna, see. I want to do like a webinar where we just do like everybody together opens up ChatGPT at the same time and we just play with it. Like, okay, we're all going to try the same prompts and just like get, I mean, maybe, maybe you really have to walk people through it, right? You can't just say, go use ChatGPT because people don't even know where to find it on Google. Maybe they don't know how to Google. I mean, we have to, maybe we have to start from the basics. It would have to be a big so, a keynote. So you're doing thousands of people at the same time. So that really, that's the only way to create great exposure or experience. I, I think the problem is that all these people read that Accounting Today article that said that ChatGPT can't pass the CPA exam and they just assume that it's a toy. You know, thanks a lot, Accounting Today. <laughs> yeah, you, I saw, I saw miss, that. Uh, we talked about that. We don't have to, we don't have to rail on yeah, that for that anymore. I saw it in one of these articles today too. Uh, Intuit had their uh, conference call. They released their year-end earnings. And uh, I'm assuming and that they crushed small, it again. Highlights. So, so I'm sorry. They crushed it again. Oh yeah, not not like Nvidia. Did you see Nvidia? They had 100 well, percent year over year growth. So this earnings. Nvidia That's has bad. just they've been so lucky. They had the crypto craze, so all their yeah. chips are selling for crypto mining. And then when that fell off, AI picked up. They can't lose. <laughs> yeah, I really wish I bought Nvidia stock like 10 years yeah. ago. Jeez, crazy. So. Into it, um, they they gave guidance for 2024, which is basically, let's just say, a 16 billion dollars now. Intuit is a 16 billion dollar company. Wait, is um, it? And then 16 billion dollars of what? Revenue, company revenue. Wow, and yeah. that's what so, they're projecting. Yes. Wow. With a basically, it's a growth of 11 to 12 percent. And then you know the conference call goes on, and this is not a good look for Intuit. So for me, for Intuit li listening, this is not a good look. <laughs> Keep in mind, you now have sixteen billion dollars in revenue, okay, and you owe seven hundred million in taxes. But because California was one of those relief states, they're just making they, they just noted like, by the way, we will be paying this, you know, in Q one of fiscal twenty four. But it's just not a good look, right? You oh, to have just not pay paid seven hundred million dollars. Just pay it. Just go pay it uh, over there. Um, a couple other interesting things. So Credit Karma, which is like the personal finance kind of credit reporting app, there's the number of people that they took from Credit Karma and turned them into TurboTax customers was up 5x this year. Wow. So which is a pretty pretty major and that move. Was a big reason that they bought Credit Karma was to make that happen. So Yeah, to, to at move, least in, move in my consumers guess. to tax. Yeah. And then let's talk about uh they also there's a question about business uh business tax. So like we did, we used TurboTax business to do our taxes. So here's this, here's what was in the comments call. We we launched and learned to get the product market fit in business tax. That is now going to be available both across our QuickBooks Live platform and directly going to market with TurboTax. And we have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that come to TurboTax looking for business tax. We've never had an offering. So the, the TAM on this, like they're just like, we've had millions and millions of businesses coming to us looking for a product. So now they're gonna have an offering there, right? Um, and then the other really cool thing that they had in their conference call is they're just talking about the TurboTax Live in general and and, probably, and I bet you they're using QuickBooks Pro Advisors in this as well. But essentially they have tax experts and business experts now 10 miles from every single house in the United States. So wherever you're at in the whole country, somebody within 10 miles has some tax or QuickBooks expertise basically. But you can't, see them in person you have to see them in a little square on your screen so 
I, it's a fun data point, but yeah. And other than that, irrelevant. I don't think there is anything else. I scrolled down, I highlighted everything at yellow, but there was not many other things coming out of there. Well, I got some news from ZeroCon Sydney, since you mentioned Intuit. It's only yeah. fair that we talk about their product yeah. wrap. They announced some new stuff, uh, some new AI stuff, of course. You can't do a conference now without announcing either AI that you've built into your product or that you plan on building into it, right? It's the new blockchain. Short-term cash flow in Zero Analytics Plus now includes predictions for recurring invoice and bill payments, giving small businesses a clearer picture of their potential future cash flow. So this is the cash flow tool that is available inside of Zero in the analytics tab. Actually, I forget exactly what it's called. Don't quote me on that. But there, anyway, there is this cash flow tool. So they're using AI to help improve that, which I think is great because nobody in any of the small business GLs has figured out how to do good cash flow forecasting, like automated. I mean, even manually, it's bad. Everyone's still using spreadsheets for that. So I think that's really cool. They're moving in that direction. Now, here's what's coming. They said that in coming months, they're going to use AI in the bank reconciliation, which is music to my ears. It will populate new contacts that aren't already in your client's contacts list. And that's one of the most time-consuming things in Zero that you have to do when you're coding is you have to create a contact because Zero doesn't automatically create contacts. And they're going to use AI to help do that, which I think is is good. good. I mean, it depends on the implementation, right? If it's just creating a bunch of contacts and now you have duplicate contacts, that would be very bad. But if it's using AI to intelligently create contacts that you don't have yet, that would be great. Yeah, like I don't need Starbucks 23, Starbucks 254, Starbucks. Like just put them all as one Starbucks. Just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, every restaurant location is its own contact. Yeah, you don't need that. And they are also experimenting with AI in HubDoc, Zero Expenses, Zero Go. Zero Central is powered now by an AI tool that serves up relevant content to your search queries. So when you're looking for help articles, they already use some AI. They're going to start using a large language model to surface better answers from across all the content in Zero Central. So that'll help you get to the answer that you need sooner. And that's a great use case for generative AI LLMs. Is or just the uh, caller or the the voicemail or the the email you got, wondering you know how to get help, right? You know, if if the apps themselves had better search, that would that would be a nice way to get help. Oh yeah, well, and so the problem with search right now is that you have to match the terms exactly or very closely to what's in the help article. So if you're not using the same words, you're not going to find it. But LLMs let you use something approximate. It understands the meaning of what you're trying to search for and finds you a similar meaning in those articles. Yeah. So you don't have to use exact search terms. So it improves the the power of search by many, many times. So that's a great example of it being used. So kudos to Zero uh, on that those developments. I, I can't wait to see the cash flow tool. I'm gonna I'm gonna really be playing with it. Um, because that's something I always wanted as a advisor that I could never really there, get the way I wanted it. There's other breaking zero news. So when you were, you know, pulling all the dials to get the pod to get us a recording this morning, ZeroCon announced, there's so a zero announced that they're gonna do ZeroCon back in the United States again in Nashville. Yes. August 14th to 15th. Nashville is one of my favorite food cities. I'm so excited. Oh yeah. Oh, and music. Uh, I mean, it's the... Yeah. I mean, oh, yes, there's music, yes, yes. yes. I mean, for but, me, it's, it's... it's. I love the food, but don't... Like, the reason yeah. I go to Nashville is for the music. You cannot get better yeah. live music. 
but I think it's an underrated food city. Maybe that's the way to think about it. Nobody puts yeah. it on their map of like food cities, but I would say yeah, that. So August 14th and 15th, 2024. And they're, they're nicknamed Coachella for accountants. That's going to be like my birthday, right around my birthday. So I'll, I'll oh, have to go. Perfect. Yeah. Now, now, now it's on. And then I don't know. Do I have any more small app news? Relay now has two and a half million dollars in FDIC insurance, up from the usual two hundred fifty thousand. They've done this via ThreadBank, where now if you have a balance over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in Relay, they will automatically sweep it into different deposit accounts and obscure all of that for you. You don't have to worry about it at all. And so that way you've got $2.5 million in FDIC insurance. So if we have a situation like SVB bank runs, again, you are protected up to that amount. And you don't have to think about that. They will. That's the best part. It's just automatic. You just get it. And I believe it's just included now in all of the relay accounts. Like this is now a feature, uh, which is very compelling because other banks charge a fee for this service or don't even offer it. So really nifty. Um, and this is probably my last article, I think, for me this week. Um, Stripe unveiled a platform they call it Tax for Platforms to streamline tax compliance for small business. And it's a little confusing when you read it, but I don't remember a few years back, Stripe bought TaxJar. I don't know if you remember that. They were mm-hmm. kind of a smaller pre-Avalara competitor, and they, they gobbled them up. And they've been offering sales tax calculations for Stripe customers, right? Uh, but now what they've done is they built it as a platform, which really now they're really an Avalara com- com- uh, competitor. So then with other companies or other apps, so for example, MindBody, right, which is like a lot of software gyms use, Orange Theory uses, et cetera. MindBody doesn't even have to use Stripe for payments, they, but they don't, who, who knows how MindBody's calculating sales tax right now. But what they can do now is they could use Stripe's sales tax platform and they don't have to get Avalara's. So this is like a direct, real competition for somebody like Avalara, where if I'm building an app, I would probably lease technology from Avalara, but now Stripe's getting into that game, which this is an interesting one to watch. I mean, it's probably not going to affect accounts and bookkeepers as much directly, but like that's a pretty big movement in this space, I think. I think that's a wrap. Thanks, everyone, who joined us live today. You can follow us on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, get notified when we go live, and you can chat with us. Everyone who has chatted, really appreciate you joining. Shoaib, Hamza, HK, Edgar, Natalie, John. Trevor. Trevor. Mitch, really great having you on the chat with us and everyone watching live. I am Blake T. Oliver on the social media. What about you, David? I'm David Leary everywhere. And send us an email. We are the accounting podcast at earmark.me. Let us know if you have a friend or relative who is taking accounting for the first time. Uh, let us know what's going on with your firm. If you've got news to share in accounting that we haven't covered, we want to hear it. We love hearing from our listeners. And do us a favor and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get into more listeners. Our show numbers are up massively this year, and it's because of you, our listeners, for putting in those reviews. You've you've helped bring us to a whole uh, new group of accountants, and we really appreciate you. So thanks a lot. Oh, and HK says, hey, guys, please schedule your live feeds again in YouTube. Yes, um, that is something we want to figure out how to do. Unfortunately, we are not quite organized enough to start on time. 
every single week, but we're working on it. We're going to get there someday. All right, David, I'll see you here next week. Beautiful. I'll see you Monday. We'll be in Chicago. Oh, yeah. See you in Chicago. Bye. Bye, everyone. Time for the classifieds. Your accounting clients don't want another shiny app they have to log into. They want to be met where they live in their email inbox. FinDaily does just that. FinDaily automates the communication of key financial data by sending it to your client's inbox daily. Try FinDaily out for free at findaily.io. That's findaily.io. Sick of waiting for same-day ACH transfers that stick to bank hours or paying high fees for credit cards? Stop settling with slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly, America's first accessible instant payment solution. With Forwardly, accountants in the USA can receive small business payments instantly, 24-7, 365 days a year, manage cash flow, and simplify accounting with automatic reconciliation. With generous partner rewards, ridiculously low fees, and no monthly charge, you can start thinking Forwardly at Forwardly.com. That's Forwardly.com. Your accounting firm is buzzing with new hires. They're eager, they're promising, they say they know QuickBooks inside and out. But soon you're seeing red flags. Errors keep creeping into the work, and once again you're in the trained, correct repeat cycle. Break free with Royal Wise Owls. Alisa Katz Pollock, one of Ignition's 2023 top 50 women in accounting, developed a comprehensive QuickBooks training platform with live webinars and on demand courses enabling your staff to learn QBO while earning CPE. Their bronze, silver, and gold memberships range from core QBO courses and discussion groups to unlimited video library access, monthly coaching sessions, and exclusive discounts. Kickstart your journey towards a QuickBooks-savvy workforce today by visiting royalwise.com. That's royalwise.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.